Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. It's a question as old as time. How do we get people on the opposite end of the political spectrum to either see our argument or even better, want to come over to our stance on something? And no, I'm not talking about getting into Facebook arguments or screaming matches at the dinner table. How do we actually get the message of free markets, limited government, and individual liberty over to people that might not see the world the same way as us? Hello, I'm Remso Martinez, and today's guest is Brian Nichols, host of The Brian Nichols Show. Brian is a marketing executive in the greater telecommunications and cybersecurity sector, so he has spent years in the world of sales. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that Brian wanted to take his passion for the principles of liberty and try and take the principles of marketing over into the political space to actually get people to think and communicate and push for these ideas instead of just trying to argue, which is such a difficult thing for so many of us. I can't tell you how many hours I spent as an ideological teenager just thinking if I tweet enough at somebody or if I you know, annoy somebody enough, I can win arguments. And sometimes I did, Brian, but I didn't win them over. They didn't agree with my cases. And in some cases, I will admit maybe I was a bit of a jerk. I won't admit that openly, but I will say maybe in some cases I was, and I want to be better and we want to be better. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to take these principles of liberty and we're trying to get them across all corners of the political spectrum, because ultimately we care about people, but how we message and how we communicate matters so much. So you went ahead and published a book a while back. It's a free ebook I'll link to in the show notes. It's called Selling Liberty, Four Easy Steps You Can Implement Now to Sell Liberty to F- Friends and Family. Brian Nichols, thank you so much for joining. Absolutely. Remzo, thank you so much for having me on the program, my friend. I'm really excited to uh, not only bring hopefully some value to your audience, but also value to Wisconsin, where I got the opportunity to uh, hang out uh, at the Young Guns Winter Summit just this past week. I got to speak to probably ballpark 200 or so business owners and entrepreneurs up in Wisconsin. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to helping out the, uh, the states here in the Midwest, starting here in Wisconsin, it looks like. Well, Brian, I I just want to give our listeners a little bit of a background. How does somebody go from the world of sales and business and think, huh, I wonder if I could use the same strategies I use to try and win over customers to shift over to the political realm in terms of how can I win people that want to be on my side, that want to, you know, not just think the same things as me, as me, but like genuinely believe it because they want to believe it. Great question, Remzo, because at the end of the day, I think it starts with a misconception of what sales is. Uh, A lot of people think of sales as you're selling a product or service, but rather what you're doing is you're selling an outcome. You're, You're helping a buyer achieve a specific result. So if we correlate that to the world of politics, you specifically look at what are people looking for when they're they're casting their vote? They're looking for these political leaders to enact change that will lead to some tangible outcome or result that will be beneficial for them. So if we understand that there is a correlation between the world of sales and the world of politics and the way that we should be leveraging politics 
to meet people where they're at on the most important issues that they care about, then we can help use that sales cycle to in turn help create better solutions. And, and what we try to do, obviously, is focus on liberty-based solutions. So uh, you can use both the, the sales and marketing techniques that have been proven successful in the, the business world and bring them to the world of politics and have success as well. So this has been a question that, you know, the the conservative and libertarian, the you know, the joint liberty movement has been asking since I feel like the dawn of time, how do we communicate better? How do we message better? How do we meet people where we are? And it seems like that's a question that we're constantly asking ourselves and in many ways. Uh, it, it's been something I think that many individuals and organizations have improved upon, but we keep asking ourselves that as if we're we're struggling to find the answer. What do you think the struggle has been and what do you think are the blind spots that we may have ignored or may not have wanted to venture into? It goes down to primarily, I would say, understanding who your target market is. Uh, in, in the business world, you don't go after your competitor. You don't go after people who are overtly not a, a fit for your solution. So we in the liberty movement have to stop having our target market be the people who we want it to be. And instead, have to look and see, well, who actually is looking for the solutions that we're bringing to the table? And it's primarily on the main issues of the day. So you can look to see what is the, the leading conversations and one look no further than right now. It's going to be covid and the response, you have inflation and the uncertainty in the economy. And of course, right now we have a conversation about Russia and foreign policy. So we have the opportunity to enter into conversations that people are already having. And that's a group of people who are in many cases looking for a different way of doing things. So let's bring those different solutions to the table and show the tangible outcomes that they can they can actually yield versus just to your point, in, in sitting in Facebook groups or sitting in Twitter arguments, going back and forth, trying to be right. Uh, there's a, a gentleman I listened to, uh, Brian Burns. He's a, a sales uh, coach. And, and one of the things he talks about is, do you want to be right or do you want to be rich? And you see this in the, the world of politics more often than not, people fixate on being right and winning that argument versus trying to change someone's mind, but understanding who it is we should be focusing our time and energy towards versus wanting to spend our time getting the people that maybe we want to be our allies to become our allies, despite the fact that they never will. And that sometimes is a hard pill to swallow because it, it makes us re reevaluate who our ourselves are, are in terms of what our values are in many cases. And we've seen in the past few years, the liberty movement's changed quite a bit with an influx of people, but also a, a, not a large number, but some individuals, especially those who maybe have been around for a while, but now all of a sudden you're seeing some new blood, start to question things and, and step out of the movement. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Things uh, in, in world, if there's one constant, it's change. So it, it's either you embrace the change or, or you fight the change. And, and we've seen time and again, history has shown that those who fight the change are those who, who get lost to time. One of my favorite journalists is John Stossel, formerly of uh, Reason TV at Reason.com. And prior to that, he had his incredibly popular TV show for many years, Stossel, over on Fox Business. Yep. And John Stossel was a person who, in, in his own story, was you know very much fixed in the world of the media, where people were naturally more left-leaning. He was pro-regulation. He was very much for many, um, you know, what we would define as big government progressive causes. 
causes. But as he was investigating things, you know, throughout multiple industries, whether it was agriculture or banking or business, he slowly started to shift from, you know, a, a much more left oriented mindset, more towards free markets, more towards towards individual autonomy, more towards, you know, let's let people get together. And as long as we don't hurt each other and take our stuff, maybe there are peaceful, voluntary solutions there. And that's what changed him. And the one thing that he talks about is that he listened to people. He went and actually uh, was genuinely interested in what people of opposing views had to say and along the way he had mentors. And something that you and I have talked about uh, quite often is this idea of becoming the trusted advisor. Nobody wants to be shouted solutions. Nobody wants to lose. People want a trusted advisor who genuinely has their best interest at heart and wants to help them achieve a certain goal. When you say trusted advisor in terms of trying to get people to listen and consider options in the policy realm, what what are you really kind of coming across of that? What makes it so different? Well, first starts out showing that you have the person you're speaking to's best interests in mind. And and that right there is by far what separates the best salespeople from the worst is what we call it, we call it commission breath where you can tell that the person is trying to sell you something versus trying to genuinely help you. And what you want to do, and when we talk about the trusted advisor, I like to use the uh, the comparison of just imagine, um, you know, let, let's say you're getting married, Remzo, right? You're getting married, and your your fiance is going to try on some some dresses. She doesn't want. Ryan, the you're about to get me in trouble, aren't you? <laughs> no, not today. Uh, we'll save that for another time, Remzo. But let's say she she was trying on some dresses. She wants the the person who's helping her uh, try on these dresses to do that. Help her try on the dresses, and instead of pushing the specific dress, say, you know what, that dress looks nice, but and maybe make a change here or there, and then find the right dress for her. So it's not a matter of trying to push a dress, but rather helping her buy a dress. And, and then it's more so of, does this make sense? And when we get into the world of, does this make sense versus a yes, no decision, then we're in a much better position to have a conversation about outcomes. Because now the person is in a, in a, a mindset of being open to a different way of doing things versus being in the defensive, trying to juggle, okay, what, what's, what's the next thing that this salesperson's going to do? You know, what's the, the, next, uh, you know, the, the next feature or benefit that they're going to try to lure in front of me? Uh, instead, it becomes much more natural. And it goes back to the idea of being that trusted advisor because you've shown your, your authentic self, you have their best interest in mind, and you're helping them make a decision they're going to make anyways, and you're just helping them make, make it make sense. So let's go ahead and break down the four steps that are listed in your book. And I think these are incredibly important steps. They're steps that I have tried to implement myself in my day-to-day role here at the Badger Institute. Let's go ahead and start with number one. And I find that you know it's, it, it, it's so simple, but sometimes we tend to neglect the simplicity in exchange for wanting to think this needs to be more complicated. Obviously, it must be harder than just focusing on this simple idea. But your first step is ask better questions. Yes. Ask better questions. And I actually just had a gentleman on my show. Uh, his name is Lee Sales, And I'm holding the book up here for your video listeners. Sell Different is the, uh, the book he wrote. And he talks about this. They're called horizontal and vertical questions. Uh, and the idea being, he uses the comparison of you go to the dentist's office, right? And they go in with that little pick and they start going through, they test each tooth, right? And as they're going through and testing each tooth, and they, they all of a sudden feel that little squishy part and one tooth, what do they do? They stop right there. 
And then they start to dig deep and they start to figure out what's going on. The same thing is true in the questions we ask. So we can have an idea of what we think the top issues that people care about are, but it's important for us to figure it out first. So in asking the questions, we can ask more horizontal questions, which are going to be the, the questions that are more so across the board, your, your fact finding, right? But then when you find that pain point, you find that top of mind issue, whatever it may be, and that's that it sticks, right? At that point, that's when you drill down, you go into your vertical questions, you start to figure out more hyper-focused of what's causing this, this concern or this pain point, and how can you, in whatever the solution it is that you're bringing to the table, how can you help solve that problem? And, and that is where in, in asking the questions, it is important to ask a, a great questions versus, and we see this in the world of interviews, right? And, and it drives me crazy because you can tell when somebody has a bunch of specific questions that they always want to get out. And it, like an interview will go a certain direction. And then all of a sudden it feels un, uncomfortably weird. The next question being asked because it's, it's because they want to, they want to seek a static outcome in the answers. Exactly. And if you do that in the world of sales, then again, we're going back to putting your customer on defense. You don't want your customer ever to be on defense. You want your customer to feel like you're on the same team and you're helping in this, the one common pursuit of a shared goal or shared outcome. And that starts with asking better questions. Uh, Grant Cardone from Cardone Capital is, uh, is somebody I look to for a lot of my communications and sales advice. He's published many books that I've, I've read and enjoyed over time. And the one thing that he mentions is by the time somebody is coming to you to start a conversation, they already have something in their life which they either need or is inconveniencing them that they're looking for a solution to. And if you just talk at them offering the full menu, you're going to bypass and possibly ignore, turn off the one thing that they actually want that could lead to them being a customer. I think that really is, is the similar case when it comes to the realm of policy. People have an area that they will most likely work with you on or agree with you on, but if you talk at them with things that don't, um, that, that don't matter for that specific cause, you're basically throwing away that opportunity. Bingo. Yeah, that's that's why I always joke my uh, my catchphrase is meet people where they're at on the issues they care about because if you go in and you're only focusing on those things that you are hyper concerned and focused on then you're only going to talk to that specific person versus if you're going out and focusing and, we're, and I would say our goal here is to try to grow uh, our outreach and to help change more people's hearts and minds towards the solutions we're bringing to the table in that case we're going to have to talk to people who aren't speaking our language. And that goes towards when you're asking questions that you're asking questions using the language of the person you're speaking to. If you're talking to, so for example, for my day job, I work a lot with IT professionals, specifically IT directors, chief information officers, chief information security officers, and the language that they speak in terms of the text and specs is entirely different than the language somebody in HR is going to be speaking. So knowing what the language is of the person you're speaking to, that audience is super important. 
And, and this leads exactly into your second point. And, and I'll preface with one thing that I've I've definitely heard from people who are you know discussing how terrible the the current state of open discourse is in person online is that when you have somebody who's a liberal, for example, talking to somebody who's a conservative you know, sometimes you'll hear them say, well, it's like we're talking two different languages. It's like, I don't even understand what they're talking about. And your second point is peak interest and then listen. Yes. Well, we, we like to peak interest. We do that a lot with all the things that we bring to the table because we have this really, it's almost an intoxicating philosophy that we want to share with everybody. But when we lead in and back to what we were just talking about with that passion, we sometimes get blinded by what the person that we're speaking to actually cares about. So after we've asked questions and then figured out that specific area that we should start addressing in terms of hitting on emotional appeal. And I know if we're in the, the greater Liberty movement, we, we talk about, you know, it's the greater Ben Shapiro line, right? The facts don't care about your feelings. Well, that's true. But feelings sell. Emotions are the number one driver when people are factoring in in the buying decision. They'll make There's decisions. a thing. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but I mean, no, you know, the, to to counter that in a way to kind of weigh the scale to the left on that. I mean, when AOC says it doesn't matter if it's like factually correct as long as it's emotionally right, and I'm paraphrasing, there there is a degree of truth to that. Yep. Well, there, and that's why it's. And that and that's why it's so important to when we're in the sales environment to balance the emotional appeals with the the rational, logical lens and helping them validate that decision. This was the right decision, right? So when we peak interest, it has to be specifically focused in those areas. But then, and, and <laughs> this is, uh, you'll see, you'll, this is what separates like good salespeople from great salespeople is that good salespeople, they'll, they'll talk a lot, whereas great salespeople know when to shut up. So when you have piqued the interest, I call it the six seconds of silence. Uh, it's uncomfortable. It's weird. But it's almost like in the office where Michael and Daryl are doing the salary negotiation <laughs> and Michael leans back and Daryl leans back and Michael sits for a while and he goes, I decline to speak first. Uh, it's almost in that kind of mentality. But what you're doing is now you're setting up the opportunity for the prospect, or in this case, the person you're you're working with in the political solution to tell you exactly what their thoughts are and, and to almost paint the picture for you about what their problem is. And then you in turn can see almost exactly how to fix it based on understanding the solutions that you bring to the table most effectively. So your third part is probably the part that requires the most amount of introspection, honesty, and a little bit of discomfort for people. And this is the part where I, I really had to assess this for myself and how I'm uh, following along these steps. Your third step is find objections and concerns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, it's going to inevitably happen. If there are no objections or concerns, red flag, because that means the person is probably just doing some window shopping, meaning they're just looking to see what else is out there. And I know that sounds weird in the world of politics, but we'll see this every election year, right? All of a sudden, a bajillion more voters show up to the polls and you're like, where the hell did you come from? Where are you at the different conventions I go to? And it's because they get sucked in on some issue, whatever the issue is. So in that world, you're going to have people raise up some objections. So 
I like to use the Victor Antonio, who's a great sales mentor. I cannot recommend looking up his work uh, enough, but he talks about instead of blocking or instead of uh, overcoming objections, blocking objections, which is definitely a tool I like to utilize, but being prepared to overcome objections as they come up as well is important. So let's look at the two different ways you do that. When you block an objection, if there's something you know is often brought up by your competition or just as a question by your prospect, you can address that in your value statement. So for example, if uh, you know, let's say your competitor is always pointing out that your solutions cost a lot more money, you can say in your value statement, you know, hey, Mrs. Prospect, while our solutions tend to be more expensive than our competitors, our customers appreciate that we have a 99% uh, response rate within the first one minute of them reaching out to resolve their problems if they arise. So they appreciate that and actually don't see it as an added price, but rather it's added value that they're they're willing to, you know, to, to bite the bullet or what have you. That's a different way of framing that versus going through and being ready to uh, uh, respond to, well, hey, your competitor said that your price is, is a lot higher. What's then you have to play catch up. But it is under it's important to understand the objections that are being raised as they come up because behind every objection is a concern. There's something that is behind that objection that you need to address and understand to see what's actually holding this person back. Because more often than not, whatever it is that's holding them back is something in an emotional appeal. It, it might be that they're afraid of making the wrong decision. It, it might be in some cases they have paralysis by analysis. There's so much out there that they're just overwhelmed. So it's important for you to, to when you hear those objections, better understand where's this objection coming from so you can understand the root of the objection. And just like a doctor, if you see your patient come in and they have a symptom you're not just treating the symptom. You want to address the, the actual cause of that, that problem so you can take care of it and nip it in the bud versus constantly responding to the symptom. The same thing is true when it comes to these objections. You want to get to the root cause of that objection and make sure when you isolate that objection, you can truly understand it and then overcome it. And hopefully your prospect, or in this case, in the political world, whoever it is you're speaking to on the political solution will better understand and feel more comfortable in actually moving things forward. Um, I, I think an electoral example is probably the easiest way to drive this point home for people. Something that uh, you've discussed when discussing this area is how Ron DeSantis used almost a single issue to really create a coalition when he was running for governor of Florida. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I had Philip Stutz on my program, and uh, he wrote the book, The Undefeated Marketing System. And that book highlighted this example where Philip was a marketing company that the DeSantis campaign leveraged. And what they ended up doing was they found that the number one issue that was being not addressed effectively and in the demographic that was voting the highest was school choice issues with uh, with moms in, in specifically uh, those uh, areas in Florida. So what they did was they focused on a pro-school choice solution initiative. And they started going out, uh, meeting with you know, parents that had kids in, in private schools or in charter schools and saying, you know, hey, if, if Andrew Gillum wins, you know, you're, you're going to not have this school and taking the videos of the kids crying and, and then turning that into a completely 1000% targeted campaign 
in that specific target market of people they knew that were actively looking for a different way of doing things in this case, getting out of the, the government schooling system. And that ended up being the number one driving issue that pushed that uh, the Ron DeSantis campaign over Andrew Gillum. And uh, honestly, like without the efforts of Philip Stutz and his campaign, we might not be seeing what we're having right now with Ron DeSantis being what the most like loved governor on the right in America, but also easily one of the top contenders here for 2024 as the Republican nominee. So um, that's entirely because he and his campaign understood the importance of focusing on the issues that his voters cared about. Uh, and, and I think we have a lot to learn there. If we if we're not going to focus on the issues that our voters care about, then somebody else is. And in more cases than not, it's going to be your competitor. Yeah. I mean, like you said earlier, it it follows exactly in line with your mantra, which is meeting people where they are. If you don't meet people where they are, they're going to go somewhere else because they might not naturally be inclined to go meet you. Yeah, absolutely. And who can blame them? Because and we, we in the liberty movement see this too often where we think just because we have the best ideas that that means something. It doesn't. We, ha- we have to make it mean something to the person that we're, we're reaching out to. And until we can draw that connection and make it real for them, it's just fluff. And, and your average person has so much more to worry about in their day to day. They don't want to go ahead and dig through philosophy and principles and understand the, the ideas and concepts at the onset. They want to make sure that their main initial needs are taken care of. And if we can help them see that our solutions will help those needs get taken care of, then then we can have that conversation. We can show them, hey, by the way, the reason this solution worked is, and then go into the philosophy, go into the, 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 the principles and show them there. But only then, once they see that the solution can help and is helping, will they actually be open to those solutions in their end. Now, as we get to part four, I kind of laughed because I was thinking as to how other people kind of create the step list in their own minds. I think a lot of folks would make your fourth step their first step. And I think that's where a lot of problems arise from. Step number four is solve solve the problems, then offer solutions. Yep. You have to earn the right to sell your solution to your prospect. And only once you've earned that right, do you dare present a solution because, and, and you're 100% right, Remza, we almost saw this entire mentality over the past two years of trust the experts. And that mentality has been taking the solution first and just saying, well, yeah, this is, you have to trust me on this. This is the best way of doing things. Nobody makes decisions that way. If my team, so I led a team for three years um, out in the East coast as I built up uh, my team's SDR department. And if one of my members of my team went out of their way and got uh, a prospect in the phone and talked about their solution, you said, well, just trust me, just trust me. I mean, they'd be, they'd be gone in a week because they'd never book any appointments because nobody would make a buying decision in a just trust me way, which if you're just presenting your solution and expecting your buyer to understand just by the nature of how good it is that they just, they should take this decision. They should take this meeting. They should buy this, this product. Then that's on you. You, you have a responsibility to understand what your, your main driving problem is for your, your customer, but also what their goals are, what their vision is, and how can you help align whatever it is that you're bringing to the table of value with whatever it is that they're looking to get, not just out of this, this solution, but long-term vision and how you can help correlate your, your vision with their vision. And it has to become a relationship. People want to do business 
with people that they know, like, and trust. And that starts with us being our authentic selves, but also building authentic relationships with people. One of my best customers I've had now for, oh my gosh, almost four years at this point has been because whenever he needed something, I was there to help him be a superstar for his company. And it started out because he needed to get internet at his CEO's. uh, It was right on the the island uh, in Maryland. I forget the name of it specifically, but right on the Atlantic, they could not get any internet uh, wired to their location. And we got him a, uh, a comprehensive satellite solution. Long story short, now all of a sudden his CEO of his company and the, the mini office there were able to have internet that they didn't have before and actually could do business. And nobody else at the company had been able to get that. So now he was able to be a superstar. So how can you not only solve the, the problems that your, your prospect or your buyer sees before them, but how can you make them shine? How can you make them look like a superstar, both internally to their friends and family, but if it's in the business world, to their coworkers, to their peers. So at that point, right, once you're able to present a solution after truly understanding the entire concept of, of what your, your prospect is looking for and to know for a fact that your solution can, uh, can effectively help them, only then can you present a solution. And it has to be uh, shown that you can, you can truly help them and to make it real. Uh, that's where we sometimes drop the ball is that we think just because we have that great solution and we show them it's a great solution that now it's just going to, you know, they'll sign off, but you have to show them how it's going to be real for them. So I always encourage them to talk to people who have gone through something similar to what they're going through. It's the world of politics, introduce them to somebody who just became a libertarian from one of their political ways of thinking. If it's somebody on the right, introduce them to somebody who came from the right to the world of liberty. Somebody from the left, do the vice versa. Uh, If you're in the business world, introduce them to a customer who just became a customer who's also in their vertical. If it's healthcare, introduce them to a healthcare customer. If it's uh, in the world of finance, introduce them to a finance customer. It's important though, to make them uh, see the opportunity to go from their current state to that future state and helping it make it more real by introducing them to people who have already gone through that themselves. It makes it more real for them. And then it makes it more so an easy next step versus trying to make a, a very big and sometimes monumental decision that has very huge implications for the long term. Yeah, a uh, an advertising mentor of mine many years ago once said, you know, people want to buy, but they don't want to be sold. And Bingo. I feel I feel that everybody, regardless of where they come from, we all kind of have that. It's like we don't yep. want somebody have to, you know, force us to want to get into an agreement or agree if a certain, you know, statement or something. But you know, we're we're actively seeking the solutions in our lives, and we're looking for that trusted advisor to help us get to that destination or find that solution. That, uh, that's Brian, why, Ramzo. Whenever we're and I don't mean to interrupt, but that's why oh, we're on Amazon and we're checking out, and Amazon says, hey. People like you have also bought similar products, X, Y, Z. We don't look at that and go, look at them trying to upsell me. You're like, oh, that actually might be helpful. I, I probably could use that. Like, I, It's over there. I just bought some, some whiteboard spray for my little whiteboard I have over here on my wall. And Amazon said, hey, by the way, you should probably get a little eraser thing. And I was like, hey, I probably should. <laughs> so like that, but I didn't look at that as they're trying to upsell me. I looked at it as, oh yeah, they're looking out for my best interests because they know if I'm getting that spray, I mean, I could use paper towel, but this will probably work better. So they recommended that to me. Now, did I have to buy it? No, but I had the option and I saw the value. So I took the opportunity to add that to the cart. We have to, to do that when we're having conversations with people. What extra value can you bring that just makes sense to add to the cart? You know what I mean? 
Exactly. And as we wrap up, you know, there's something that you mentioned at, at the beginning of our conversation, which is all this happens when you have a value statement, a statement of principles. Uh, I, I think that's incredibly important because we've already gone through the four steps into learning how to communicate this to friends and family. But what do you think are the questions somebody needs to ask themselves before they get into this venture, whether they're an individual organization or an activist group or a nonprofit? What's the most important thing we need to understand before we start going through this process so that way we can ultimately try and help improve people's lives? You have to know what value you yourself bring to your customers. So this is why I, whenever I do any coaching or consulting, I'll always sit down with whoever it is is the decision maker and I'll say, what you need to do first, what we're going to do first is we're going to talk to your existing customers and we're going to ask them and it's going to be uncomfortable, but figure out why they do business with you to start with. And, and what you're going to find is you make that, I call it your, your win list of the people that you are already doing business with, you're going to find some, some commonalities. Focus on those commonalities and build up a, a kind of um, a profile of who that customer looks like, who that prospect looks like, and then make that your ideal customer persona. We call that your ICP, your ideal customer persona. And when you find that ideal customer Start to focus on that niche. Make that your one area of focus, and then you can become the expert in that area. It'll give you the opportunity to bring unique insight, which is nothing more than insight beyond the obvious. But here's the reality, and this is something I talk about all the time when I'm talking about uh, coaching folks in the greater business technology world, is when I'm talking to a CIO, they're probably much smarter on the techs and specs in terms of the actual happenings of the day-to-day. But when it comes to specific areas. I know that, you know, I, I, for example, do a lot with your hosted phone systems, bandwidth solutions, contact center, call center, cybersecurity initiatives. So I'm dealing in that world all day long. So I'm seeing things and ways of doing things that are very unique that they maybe have not heard of or seen before. So bringing that unique value and insight to them, I then all of a sudden can stand out from the white noise. And then once you've stood out from the white noise and you can initiate this conversation, then you can start digging through these four steps because at the point you start to ask questions, now you're engaging in a conversation, um, but you have to get there first. You have to have the opportunity to sit down first. And it first starts out with understanding who you should be talking to. Brian, this has been a lot of information, and I think it's something that we can all use, whether we're in the greater liberty movement trying to advance certain policy goals, or even if we're just trying to build a better conversation with people. So we try and win less arguments, and we try and become a a trusted advisor in somebody's life. So we're actually building networks and friendships and building better relationships. I think this is all key to civil society looking at a a, 30,000 foot goal, but uh, definitely in, in in this realm, we know our ideas are good because they're peaceful. They look right. out for the best interest of the individual. And we're trying to build a society that will be better for our children and grandchildren. But when we really try and listen to people and understand where they are, how to meet them and how to achieve goals together, that's how we're going to do it. Brian, if people want to go ahead and uh, grab a copy of the book, which I'll go ahead and leave a link in the show notes today. It's a free ebook, folks. You can get through it in less than 10 minutes or subscribe to your program, The Brian Nick show. How could they do so? 
Absolutely. Well, Remzo, first and foremost, thank you for uh, for having me on the program. It was an honor to speak to you again and to, to speak to your audience. Uh, and in terms of how they can grab the ebook, so you can go to briannicholsshow.com. There's two ways you can do it. Number one, you can sign up right there at the very top of the uh, the homepage. You'll see a link for the ebook. Or uh, you can go to briannicholsshow.com and sign up for our morning sales huddle. Um, and I'll send you over a free copy along the way. And the morning sales huddle, um, usually once or twice a week right now, and that's just been as I've gotten back into the world of sales. I've done less emails, but I've, I've tried to make them more uh, more detailed and value-oriented. So we're maybe one to, to three per week at this point, but it's a, a quick overview of what I was used to doing with my sales team. I'd sit down every single day and we'd walk through every morning something in a coaching world, in the world of sales, how to either become a better sales professional, how to become a better person. Um, you know, We do trainings, coaching, all that fun stuff. I'm bringing that to my audience. Uh, and specifically because we, we have to be better versions of ourselves before we try to sell other people on our ideas being better. So let, that's where I, uh, you can go ahead and sign up there. It is a free um, resource. And again, you can get the ebook uh, for easy steps uh, to help sell liberty to friends and family. Yes, uh, BrianNicholsShow.com. And then you can find me on social media at Liberty, Twitter and Facebook. I'm over on YouTube as well. Uh, hit subscribe because I know sometimes YouTube likes to hide all of us Liberty folk uh, from hitting those, those main news feeds. So anytime we go live or anytime a new video drops, make sure you don't miss it. Hit the subscribe button and uh, give us a like while you're over there for the, uh, the videos you watch. And you can find a couple episodes there with uh, Remzo W. Martinez and uh, his awesome show On the Run over in the We Are Libertarians Network too. So a little hint hint of what to expect. Thank you, Brian. You're too kind. Brian Nichols, thank you once again. Absolutely, Remzo. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Enjoying the audio version of the show? Then you'll love our YouTube channel. Be sure to head over there and subscribe. And if you're new to The Brian Nichols Show, be sure to head to your favorite podcast catcher and click download all unplayed episodes so you don't miss one of our nearly 500 episodes that will be sure to leave you educated, enlightened, and informed. If you got value from today's episode, can you do me a favor and head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash support and leave us a $5 donation? And by the way, have you given the show a five-star review yet? If not, head to Apple Podcasts and tell folks why you listen to the program and don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe too. follow me on social media at b nichols liberty and again if you'd be so kind please consider making a donation to the brian nichols show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support the brian nichols show is supported by viewers like you thank you to our patrons daryl schmitz michael lima mitchell mankowitz cody johns craig DaCosta, and the we are libertarians network Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific need. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholsshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today.